0: Hello, 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 everyone. My name is Jack Cotton Brown and you're listening to the Dev90X podcast. It's day 48 and today's discussion is on the difference between a portfolio project versus a serious app project. The title of today's episode is This Project is Becoming More Serious By The Day Which is true. This is this is happening. I've got um, I've got another person involved in the project now and there's some content that's being produced and sent around to people. Uh, I have a demo app now which displays the the core concept of using computer vision, AI technology to track handstands and people get it and they think it's cool. It's also novel and it's not something that anyone has seen before. Um, and so it's getting a little bit of buzz and it's, to be honest, it's a little bit, um, anxiety invoking to have buzz at this point in the project where I'm not even, I'm not, not really even a developer yet. I'm, I'm, I'm pre-junior. <laughs> I, I am pre-junior. I mean, after six months of, of study, I think I could be a junior developer and and then land an actual developer job, um, but I am only. For, I'm on, I'm only on day forty eight, and I didn't even start doing iOS um, study studying iOS development until I think it was around like day seventeen or day twenty or something. So I'm not even one month in to what would typically be a six month journey. Um, and so that leads on to the discussion. The difference between a portfolio project versus a serious app project is quite an interesting one. Um, in on one hand, if it's a portfolio piece, you don't really—it doesn't matter too much that it's successful because the success of the of the project is related to it existing more than it being a you know highly downloaded, highly used, viable app. Um, you're probably doing a portfolio because it's a little passion project of something that uh, is what, something that you want to see, something that would solve a problem for you. Um, and then, you know, a a hopeful byproduct of building it is that it'll turn into something that will potentially be more valuable than getting a job. But the core value of a portfolio piece is that it will get you a job. Um, it'll be good enough that in an, in a job interview you'll be able to talk about it. They'll ask you questions about it. It'll display your abilities, to do various things with various feature implementations, various design implementations. Um, yeah, but overall there are some differences that <laughs> that I am noticing um, when it's when it's like a serious app project. When it's a serious app project, it means that there is some kind of confirmed market viability for, for the app. And then what I'm noticing is that, uh, when you have a little bit of traction on the concept before it's even built, then uh, you have a lot of things to consider that are not just to do with developing the app in with code. Um, You know, you've got, you've got marketing, questions that need to be answered. You've got branding, questions that need to be answered. You need to think about what is a, you know, what's, your, what's your color palette. Um, you need to build a website. You need to have a little bit of um, marketing data on the website. Maybe you need to have a bit of a launch strategy, um, possibly an email list or a list of people that are interested in downloading the app um, that you can message. In some way there are a lot of things there are a lot of things that go into it and it might even be worth at this point uh, scaling up in the initial investment that goes into the early release uh, and doing it properly so rather than just going in and building uh, the app from code uh, going in and designing it first and working with the design for a while before Im- actually implementing any of that design, maybe using that design to go and talk to potential investors, um, potential uh, developers who maybe want to be, be become partners in the project. There's a lot of different factors, <laughs> a lot of differences that go into a serious app project. And I am... I am feeling that now I'm feeling that it's, um, there's been, yeah, there's, there's definitely been more signs of traction, more interest now that Harry's involved in the project and, uh, his, his content that he's posted on Instagram is getting a lot of positive feedback. Um, people are interested in getting involved in submitting their data to help train the AI and, um, it is, yeah, it's it's looking good, it's looking positive. but it also makes me, which is great, it makes me excited, but it also makes me really anxious that I am a pre junior developer, and I've you know, in a way, I got it to this point by hacking and and uh, cheating as much as I could, trying to cut uh, yeah, pretty much trying to cut corners as much as I possibly can. Uh, and do the bare minimum to get to where I am now, um, which I would say I successfully did. I did successfully do the bare minimum. And if you ask me to write code right now to implement a new feature, I can't. I have to go and learn more before I can do it. Um, I've already tried a few different things and and I can customize the code a little bit. I'm at that point now where I can understand the code um, fairly well. Uh, which is a huge milestone, but when it comes to actually writing my own implementations of features, uh, and then in do, doing that in a in a way that's you know at least somewhat correct and and not going to create this enormous technical debt load, um, yeah, I feel very in inequipped for that. And so, if, uh, if there's a lot of traction mounting, a lot of traction building, I feel like I should just get someone else um, to help me with the development, to hire on someone else. And, and that raises a lot of questions as well. I mean, who, how remote in person, how much do they cost? How do I finance this? You know, there's all of these questions. So that's the, the discussion for today's episode. This is what I'm going through right now. Um, other, otherwise I had a very good day today. I worked pretty, pretty consistently, uh, with only a couple of distractions from eight until four, um, at motion cafe, which motion cafe, which is my favorite restaurant in Changu And, um, I didn't need to break so much for going somewhere for food. It was sort of just there. Um, <laughs> so that was great. I, I worked a solid day today. In that day, I spent a lot of time on Instagram downloading more data. I now have over 100 more videos to process uh, with editing and sorting and organizing and labeling and and all that stuff. Um, We've got more, uh, well, we've got handstand walking videos for the first time now. I didn't have any of these in the model prior and it understands handstand walking as handstands fairly well but it randomly it randomly just gets it completely wrong because it hasn't seen that before and so i will probably add that into the regular handstand training data set um, and it'll just be interpreted as just a handstand for the time being i i did learn that right now is a good time to establish a a good data structure for the long term in terms of like folder structure and and organized data even if i don't fill those folders with the minimum required amount of data to train a new class into the model at least i'll have them there as a framework uh, for the future and that gives me a bit of an idea of you know where i have holes in my data that potentially need to be patched but are non-urgent holes um, for the time being as it's definitely it is a lengthy process to to build the AI um, and it's not something that I can easily outsource right now it's definitely a creative process every aspect of it determines the the final result so the uh, the selection of the data from Instagram um, actually even before that just the selection of the type of data that, that I'm looking for, and then the actual selecting of each piece of data on Instagram, um, there's a lot, there's a few variables that need to be considered, for example, camera angles, stable scene versus somebody's holding the camera and the scene is moving around, Um, the lighting conditions. I've done a little bit more of experimenting and found that sunset backgrounds with a silhouette foreground are the hardest for using as training data because the vision model has a, a tough time just to see the human uh, when it's just a shadow of a human. And so um, there are little, like variables like this that need to be considered. And then even with the editing process, there are very specific cut points that need to be um, consistently adhered to, to create a consistent data, data set on one, one class, for example, you know the entry into the handstand now has a a uh a hard kind of angle cut point for the the legs before it stops being an entry and starts being a handstand and and so those are like the little things that i have i would have to train somebody else um to do and potentially also have to pay a fair bit to get somebody who would just straight off the bat be professional at this and be able to take this entire thing and create the most amazing handstand, uh, vision model. Um, so I am, this is high, high value work, which I am doing, but it definitely takes me away from the development side as well. So in a way this is much more suited to be like a two person development process. Uh, and then another person on the business side of things. So I, yeah, I got more, more data, I increased the size of my edge case data pool. Um I'm, use, I'm putting in scenes with mirror reflections to see how, how the model behaves when there's a lot of reflections. Um, I mentioned before, sunset background, silhouette, foreground, um, and then scenes with crowds of people with a lot of different people. I realized that this data is also useful to have a pool of to see um, how, it, how it performs with testing but not not for training purposes. Uh, So initially I discredited all of these things and didn't didn't even download them didn't didn't grab them into a into a folder. But now I'm building a folder of uh, edge case edge cases and challenging scenes for the model to test it out to see how it performs. I'm also designing the logic system now and as I design this system. Initially, I thought I just want to implement it as fast as possible so I can see the results in action. But I took a second and I realized that this needs to be designed properly first. And so I spent probably a good four hours today just designing the logic system behind the handstand, the brain, the handstand judge, which is the final decider of what the handstand vision model is saying that it's seeing Um, in a way, it's not AI, it's just logic. And those those logic rules can just can just be changed quite easily with the code, whereas the handstand vision model is definitely not easy to change. Uh, (laughs) So many factors and variables that go into making improvements on the handstand vision model. And then the Apple vision model is something that is just flat out inaccessible for me to to make any changes or improvements to, Um, which is the biggest limitation in the entire uh, data stack or AI stack, let's call it, um, is Apple's vision framework. Interestingly, I've also thought of the implications of Apple making changes or improvements to their vision framework. And what this would mean in practice is that the entire ML model would be out of sync the handstand vision model would not understand the new the new, um, key point data that's coming in from a a different vision model. Uh, and that that could potentially mean that I would just have to retrain my model on Apple's new vision model, which would not be a big problem. So I thought about that and I was like, all right, that's not a high risk, which is good. One thing that is an interesting aspect of this is that there is a user experience issue with the final logic system. Um, The goal here is to make the, the goal here is to make the, the pose predictions happen as close to real time as possible with 100% accuracy and and no false positives, and no false negatives. In reality, it takes 30 frames of video to make a single prediction. So it's actually already a one second delay of what actually happened. Um, and and it's so it's predicting for the previous second that already happened. And then when it, when it hands that prediction to the logic system, if you're using one dimensional logic, it's going to be exactly the same. It's going to, the result is the same as what the vision model puts out. So it can't be 1D. It needs to be either 2D or 3D. And if it's 2D, then we're looking at a two second delay. So we're two, the, the app is running two seconds behind reality. And that is a question of if this breaks the user experience a little bit, is this going to be a pain point for the user experience? Not sure, but I think that the minimum that we can do is a two second delay. Um, so yeah. <laughs> 2,000 milliseconds. That's quite a lot, quite a lot. Um, I think based on my current design, the 2D system should work. And what this means is that it's only looking at a sequence of two outputs. For example, the logic system will take in, um, le- let's say the, the, the vision model says it's other, which which means that it's, it's the other pose. Other pose is anything that's not. A handstand or an entry to a handstand or an exit to a handstand, and and then after other it predicts handstand, and so the the logic system will take these two data points, and and then make some kind of action or some kind of final prediction, or it'll it'll run some logic, and um, it basically needs to understand or it needs to have rules for every different possible combination. So what does it do when it's other other and then, you know, and then next, maybe it's other entry and then next, maybe it's entry handstand. And then after that, maybe it's handstand exit. Uh, These ones are clear, but what, what if it's like, what if it's like other handstand, then what, then what does it do? I mean, in most cases, when I'm watching back the videos, um, testing the model and I see something where it's like other handstand. I know that that's not a true handstand because I've seen, I've seen it like make false positives so many times. And so I would just, in this instance, I would program the logic to say, ignore the handstand flag it as that was a false positive and, and consider it to be other, um, or let's say it's entry exit. In this case, I could pretty, pretty accurately say that it was a failed attempt at a handstand. Um, and so that then the result of that is to iterate the failed handstand attempt counter, and yeah, plus one on that. And then if it's handstand handstand, then it's conditional. So is the person already in a handstand? Would be like a boolean value where it's like uh, handstand is in handstand equals true, um, as opposed to you know is not in hand. Like if that's false, then then handstand handstand has no meaning. It means uh, double false positive. Um, So there's a lot of little things like this to designing the logic flow and the logic system. A lot of conditionals that need to be written in. There's gonna be quite a few different Boolean values, uh, different true false values. Um, There's a timer, there's a handstand timer. There's gonna be some sound effects that play conditionally. And um, I guess this is the, in in a way, this is kind of like the, the final layer of the game system. For now, for now. Eventually, there'll also be another layer after this <laughs> that decides on whether or not to award achievements for the current practice session or for one handstand object that's being recorded. Um, so that is still a question of design. And so I'm realizing that now that I'm serious about the actual you know, user experience behind this, because people seem to want it. That that I have to take a step back from learning development um, as learning development to me is is like using this this app as a sandbox where I can just play around and, and learn development. But it's not about that anymore. It's not about it being a sandbox. It's about it being a serious app project. And so design is is essential for that. You need to do UI design, UX design, design the data structures, design the infrastructure. It all needs to be designed first. Um, and so I'm not sure if I'll even be able to write any code uh, for a while until this design is, is solid. So that's, that's how, I'm, how, how I'm thinking about building and moving forward the strategy of, of the project next point (laughs) is that i did some more comparisons on video compression and vision quality and so the the question here is that is the data that i'm getting from instagram too compressed is the the loss on the quality of the resolution too much and the answer is pretty much no it's good the data is fine um as i've done this test now where I compressed a raw video from 100% down to 1%, and I did snapshots at 80, 60, 20, uh, 10, 5, 1. And I found that the vision model was still performing at 1%, which is insane, um, but there was definitely a huge drop in uh, quality of performance there from uh, from 5% to 1%, and then a marginal drop from 10% to 5%. But even at 10%, we're looking at you know Instagram's data is better than that. So there's not too much of an issue with data quality from Instagram. I spoke a little bit of branding uh, with Harry and my friend Dylan. Um, Dylan is a handstander. Uh, his handle on Instagram is at Dylan Stands. And so... <laughs> He is one of the best at handstands that I know, and he also has great style. So I thought that I would ask him about branding and it, given that this is more of a game app where fundamentally it's not about serious progress, you know, uh, features where it's not, you know, it's not trying to, it's not a pro sport tracking app, uh, like, you know, swing vision, for example, is like aimed at professional tennis players who want to you know, take their game to the next level. Like they're already so good, but that, you know, like that 1% edge on the competition, you know, could be achieved with, you know, professional analytics and professional tracking. That is one angle that handstander could take this professional analytics, professional tracking. Um, But I honestly wanted to take the more the, you know, the, the more fun, friendly social angle of like, let's just get together with our friends. Let's connect with our community and let's let's practice handstands. Like It's just fun. It's not about. It's not about being the best and it's not about having the perfect alignment. It's not about that. It's just about getting out there and just doing it and just having as much fun with it as possible, because in the long term, if you have more fun, then generally you have a better outcome. with whatever it is that you do, whether it be learning, you know, a new language with it, the more you want to practice it, uh, the better you get at it. So it's all about making it fun. And then therefore your, your, your practice will improve, your alignment will improve, all these things will improve. Uh, that's my philosophy behind it anyway. So the branding question is a big one. Does it take a fun kind of playful brand or does it, take that more like realistic, professional look. Uh, this is a big question. <laughs> and I'll, I'll be having a branding session um, with Harry on Monday to dive a little bit more into this. So that is pretty much it. Day 48. Um, I I worked so long today that now it's almost too late for me to go to the gym. Uh, and I thought that m- this is just okay because I was in the flow state and I was getting a lot done and I was I was really enjoying and being focused on what I was doing. So uh, from time to time I think this is actually a good thing to do that even if it means that you have to cut other things out of your schedule so that you can stay in that flow state because there are also other days where you just cannot get into the flow state and you don't have a lot of productivity and on those days it's better to Stop working and go to the gym. And so it's all about that long-term balance. Jack's hack for today is get the best tools for the job that you can. And what I'm really talking about here is the M1 MacBook Air. It's so good. And everyone that I've spoke to that upgraded to it recently has said that it's so good and that it helped their workflows so much. And that even though an upgrade... For a new Mac is an expensive one. Um, it's been worth it, and so I also hundred <laughs> percent agree with this uh, that the M1 is totally worth the money, especially the the Air rather than rather than the Pro. And um, that's my hack for today. Just get the best tools for the job that you can because it's worth it. It is. It's worth having the best tools for the job that you can. It speeds your workflow up. It increases the quality. Um, of your work, it results in less frustration um, while you're waiting for your crappy tool to be, you know, to do its job. Um, it gets in the way less. You are able to maintain flow state easier because you're not inhibited by, you know, slowness or battery issues or things like that. Um, I can't. I I cannot tell how many times I've been sat in a cafe where I've got someone else who also has a MacBook but it's not an M1 and they're like "Ah, oh, is there a power plug around here somewhere <laughs> and I'm like oh, I don't know I didn't check because I don't ever need to use the power plugs ever anymore because the battery is so good on the M1 <laughs> so that is my hack for today thanks for listening everyone day 48 I'll talk to you again tomorrow